1976 perverted LGBTQIA plus folks in Roxbury High School. I'll read from one of this, one of them entitled Lawn Boy. It says, what if I told you I, I touched another guy's dick? I said, Nick waved me off and turned his attention back to his beard. What if I told you I sucked it? Will you please shut up already? He said, I'm dead. Serious, Nick. Well, I'd say you were fat. I was 10 years old, but it was true. I put Doug Donald's dick in my mouth. The real estate guy. Yeah. Nick looked around frantically. What the F are you talking about, Michael? I was in fourth grade. It was no big deal. Cringing Nick held his hand out in front of him and he, and he yielded gesture. Stop. He sucked mine too. What is the educational benefit of talking about a fourth grader who gave a blowjob to another boy? See, we are up in arms in this district because someone rightfully depicted someone as a pervert and or a groomer. But I think that terminology is too soft. It's not simply perversion or grooming. It's mental rape. And who are the mental rapists? Everyone who signs up for this stuff supports it and allows it in our schools. It's mental rape. Burlington, Vermont. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is Disaffected, the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And I'm sitting here glorying. This is Pastor John K. Amanchukwu, and this is a speech that he delivered on June 13th at the meeting of the Roxbury School District Board in New Jersey. John has been going around and doing this in many places. He's been in Asheville, North Carolina. He's been in Georgia. 
This is a real black Christian preacher, not a phony or a mimic like those boys down in Tennessee in the legislature who want to talk about expulsion. No, this is the real deal. And this man is going to make me praise Jesus. <laughs> Testify. Thank you. Notice what he said. Mental rape. He's right. It was so gratifying to hear somebody say that because I've said something very similar on this show, that transitioning children is actual lifelong permanent rape. He's absolutely right. This is mental rape. It's psychological rape. It's a violation of the mind and the soul. I don't care whether you believe in souls or not. I don't think I do. But I believe in the concept, whether or not we live forever, doesn't matter to me. And if you're only listening on audio, do yourself a favor, come back, look at this on video, because I'd like you to see the expression on the members, uh, on the faces of the uh, members of the board. That was classic, sullen, aggrieved, borderline, and um, dismissive, contemptuous bitch. White women, of course, white liberal women. We're calling this episode Rebellion because it looks as though the rebellion may be beginning. May? I'm not committing to anything anymore. I'm not. <laughs> I have seen things. You have seen things. And we continue to see things that we never dreamt were possible. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10, 34. Some kids in Massachusetts are bringing the sword, too. Let's look at a short news report on what happened at the Marshall Simons Middle School in Burlington, Massachusetts. Not Vermont, Massachusetts. Tolerance and homophobia are unacceptable. This type of intolerant rhetoric starts in the home. Parents angry at town hall over intolerance at Marshall Simons Middle School. Kids were asked to wear rainbow clothes in honor of Pride Spirit Day. But some organized a counter protest wearing red, white and blue or black. The principal sharing a statement to families that Pride posters were ripped down, stickers ripped up. Some students chanted USA are my pronouns and students showing pride were intimidated. It was an unruly disruption, in fact, that was organized ahead of time. While some parents were upset, others say it was overblown. Some of the kids threw the stickers on the ground. But, you know, I can only speak for my daughter. She just, she didn't want to wear that to school. It's not that she wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. She says her daughter felt coerced to participate in the Pride event and was offended by some of the messages, like this quote from Tennessee Williams. Human heart cannot be straight. It is curves and winds. And my daughter just kind of said, you know, Mom, that's that's offensive to, to me, who I am straight. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, but they're just book banners. They're just they're just troglodytes. They're just they're just Christian fundamentalists. See, they they're Philistines. They hate literature. They don't like Tennessee Williams. It's just Tennessee Williams. Now they want to ban Tennessee Williams. Shut up. 
Do you see that principal, Joanne Frostacci? <laughs> it was an unruly disruption that was planned ahead of time. Put your cluster B bug eyes back in their sockets, Joanna, because you're going to need them again. There's going to be a lot more unruliness, and you are going to be required to take it. Yeah. Nobody, no manager is going to come rescue you. You are the manager, Joanne. And, and what you're discovering is that your employees, the children, they don't respect you. They shouldn't respect you. They're absolutely right to disrespect you. I don't normally endorse children going against rules and hierarchy. I think that's one of the major problems in our society. We have destroyed boundaries and appropriate hierarchy. But when the children have a moral compass that is pointing in the right direction, how can they possibly respect an adult who wants them to do the sort of things that the administration and faculty wanted them to do here? Listen to that news report. Listen to the newscaster editorialize in that very obnoxious newscaster intonation. Listen to him say, students who showed pride felt intimidated. That's editorializing. They showed pride. They were intimidated for showing pride. Students, quote, students were asked to wear clothing celebrating pride spirit day. I'm emphasizing the word spirit for a reason. Did you catch what they're doing? Did you catch what that is? It's between the lines. Here's what it is. Many schools have something they call spirit day. You're supposed to show school spirit, whatever the hell that is. I was never quite sure. We had spirit day in middle school and in high school. Um, and we were required, I don't know if this was the case for everybody or for most places, uh, but I suspect it was common. We were required as students to participate in Spirit Day. We had to go to the assembly in the gymnasium. We had to do the clap, clap, rah, rah, and the chant about Cortland Junior, Senior, Middle School, uh, Junior, Senior High School, and then, of course, Nottingham High School in Syracuse, where I went. Spirit Day was required. What that reporter did probably uh, because of the material from the school. He snuck something in and he did an elision on you. He wants you to perceive and emote. He wants you to feel that the students were not showing spirit, that this wasn't anything weird or different. This was just spirit day, but it was pride spirit day, wasn't it? Do you see? Do you see the conjunction that that's conceptual forced teaming. They're identifying school spirit with the highly political, highly sexual, highly partisan LGBTQIA plus S22I Pride Month. Liars everywhere. Liars, liars, liars. <laughs> in more news of women. <laughs> uh, do you think that you've heard virtue signaling before? Because if you think that, you haven't. 
<laughs> I thought I'd heard virtue signaling before, but I had not until I saw this last night. Hi, everybody. It's Liz, and I have an announcement to make. So last week, I announced the um, upcoming publication of my most recent novel, a book called The Snow Forest, that was set in the middle of Siberia in the middle of the last century and told the story of a group of individuals who made a decision to remove themselves from society, to resist the Soviet government, and to try to defend nature against industrialization. But over the course of this weekend, I have received an enormous, massive outpouring of reactions and responses from my Ukrainian readers, expressing anger, sorrow, disappointment, and pain about the fact that I would choose to release a book into the world right now, any book, no matter what the subject of it is, that is set in Russia. And I want to say that I have heard these messages and read these messages, and I respect them. And as a result, I'm making a course correction, and I'm removing the book from its publication schedule. It is not the time for this book to be published. And um, I do not want to add any harm to a group of people who have already experienced and who are all continuing to experience grievous and extreme harm. Um, so that is the choice that I have made. And I've got other book projects that I'm working on, and I've made a decision to turn my attention to working on those now. So I just wanted to let everybody know that, and thank you very much. Actually, what she wanted to let everybody know is that speaking in mommy tone, like an NPR hostess, means that she's a very, very good person, a sensitive person. She cares. She cares more than men do. She certainly cares more than you do if you vote Republican. Okay? Thanks very much. Thank you, Liz. Thanks. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> this bitch. This dummy. She's as stupid as Margaret Atwood. This one. This dummy is putting off her own book publication about a, no a, a novel set in the 19th century about some Russians who... Is it 19th century? or No, it must be early 20th century. Shit, it's not the time to publish a book about Russia. Why? Because Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Oh, my God. So you may not know who Liz Gilbert is, although you can tell a lot about her from those glasses. I'm, I, you know, I had to stop myself from going, borderline, feels like I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> you know who Liz Gilbert is? She's the author responsible for this crap. Eat, pray, love. And this crap. <laughs> Is there anything Julia Roberts can't ruin? <laughs> I mean, here's some lovely shot of a couple of nuns that looks like it's in Rome, and she's sitting there with an all-day sucker in her mouth. <laughs> Liz Gilbert is also responsible for this crap. <laughs> this is her wedding picture. <laughs> <Does she? laughs> you, you see what this is, right? This is modern female narcissism. It's bog standard these days. Uh, it, 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 and you know what? Does she think that's flattering? 
Can we get that picture back again for a moment, Kevin, of, of, uh, of Liz's wedding? Please, thank you. Um, hello, Count Orloff. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you need a secretary to tell you no for some of these things. All right. In Cracker Barrel news, <laughs> we're going to, you know what? I, I, we should have a whole, actually, we should have a whole regular segment on Southern restaurants that I love, um, which would have included Cracker Barrel until today. <laughs> so Cracker Barrel, it, oh God, no, let, let me, let me do it this way. Um, we know recently Bud Light, the beer Bud Light tanked its brand for what appears to be forever because some woke 30, 40 year old white woman named Alyssa wanted to get rid of what she called its fratty image and replace it with a tranny image, that tranny being, <laughs> sorry, in my head I call him Millen Dalvaney. <laughs> I know, I'm very clever, right? <laughs> uh, Miller Lite followed suit. We talked about that on an episode a couple of weeks ago. We showed you the, the commercial. They insulted their entire male customer base with that obnoxious commercial featuring the um, comic actress Alana Glazer composting bikini and titty posters and giving the resulting dirt to a bunch of angry dyke alleged beer brewers. I, do you think I'm making it up? I'm not. Go watch the commercial. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. You know, that terrible Chick-fil-A. That is a cross-town company. And it just hurts guy people. And they're closed on Sundays. Chick-fil-A CEO this is sometime within the past few years, got down on his hands and knees, literally physically got down on his hands and knees and shined the shoes of black men at a conference to gather narcissistic, I'm sorry, to repent for his race's sins at a public event. And now Cracker Barrel of all places has gone woke. I wonder how many bitter post hit the wall white women they've got in their corporate offices because it can't be anyone else who thought this was a good idea. Cracker Barrel is a Southern restaurant chain that plays up Southern country life. It's kitschy. Um, and, and it's unabashedly working class and a little bit redneck. And their chicken and dumplings is freaking amazing. <laughs> it's really good. Um, until now, here's Cracker Barrel today. <laughs> Do you see that? Why don't you just come and set a spell, sit your rainbow ass down in a rocking chair? <laughs> this is from Fox News. I'll just read it out to you. One of America's oldest restaurant chains, Cracker Barrel Old Country Store, is facing backlash from conservatives for going, quote, woke after the restaurant posted an image on Instagram of one of its restaurants with a rainbow painted chair to announce the celebration of Pride Month. The company, known for its antique decor, southern country-themed menu, and affordable prices, <laughs> took many by surprise following the controversial Instagram post. Instagram post, pardon me. Quote, We are excited to celebrate Pride Month with our employees and guests. Everyone is always welcome at our table and our rainbow rocker. Happy Pride, the post read. Happy Pride! Head tilt. Happy Pride! <laughs> well, 
Not everybody on Twitter liked this, um, including a gentleman who I would follow simply on his username alone. This is the Braddock, and he said, "Quite shocked that Cracker Barrel, which is based out of Lebanon, Tennessee, about thirty minutes west of me, just shared this." <laughs> and how did Cracker Barrel respond? You already know, don't you? With typical female sarcastic covert aggression, not passive aggression. Can I persuade you to drop the phrase passive aggression and replace it with the term covert aggression? That's not mine. That's a coinage of Dr. George K. Simon, um, psychiatrist, psychologist, a Christian psychologist who wrote um, some very helpful books on understanding cluster B narcissism and sociopathy. They're for the lay reader. I recommend his book, In Sheep's Clothing, and um, Character Disturbance. And, and it is George K. Simon's work that convinced me to speak more often, instead of simply personality disorders, to speak of character disorders. Because cluster B is not merely or only, or maybe even mainly, a medical issue. It's a moral issue. It goes to character. So here's, here's Cracker Barrel's response before we come up on the break here. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I have to read it this way. Thanks for sharing. Our teams take pride in creating a welcoming, safe atmosphere where people can enjoy time with family and friends the moment they walk through our doors. Heart emoji. Thanks, thanks for sharing. Shut up, you dumbass. All right, it's time to go for a break, but let me remind you, Pupuli du Mokuli is a Rumble exclusive, and at one point, this show itself is going to be a Rumble exclusive, so move on over there, if you please. Create yourself an account, uh, sign up, follow us, get our notifications, and we'll see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. I want to read to you from an article from the Nevada Independent newspaper. Quote, Republican Governor Joe Lombardo has signed a bill requiring health insurers to cover gender-affirming care for transgender minors and adults, bucking expectations as other GOP-led states across the country advance anti-LGBTQ legislation. The bill Lombardo signed into law Monday 
Senate Bill 163 mandates health insurers, including Medicaid, me breaking in, that's your taxpayer dollars, listeners, including Medicaid, cover all medically necessary gender-affirming treatments and eliminate exclusions that have historically been used to avoid paying for treatments classified as, quote, cosmetic. The bill had passed on party-line votes out of the legislature with Republicans opposed. It sounds just like our Republican, our Republican governor in Vermont, Phil Scott. Um, who are these guys? Lombardo, Scott, are they infiltrators? Are they, are they cowards? Are they true believers? I don't know. I'd like to know, but I don't know. Um, here's a, another quote for you. You'll see this. <clears throat> I think it's a powerful symbol, actually, to have a Republican governor sign a bill like that. Senator Dallas Harris, Democrat of Las Vegas, one of the co-sponsors of the bill, told the Nevada Independent Monday night, I'm thrilled. Well, she would be, wouldn't she? Take a look at her. Angry BLM Dyke, naturally. Why wouldn't she be thrilled? What a surprise. Joining us now is... Jake Wiskirchen, marriage and family therapist. He's been on our show before. Welcome back, Jake. Hey, Josh. So I want to talk to you because you want to talk about this. And I noticed that, uh, well, actually, you shared this with me. Everybody get really jealous. Jake and I actually have each other's numbers and we send texts. <laughs> um, Jake's tweet said, our governor got bullied by the TRA's trans rights activists. And that's clear from the article. He swallowed the line that kids don't that if kids don't receive this butchery, then they'll kill themselves. So he caved without logic and without reading my opposition or anyone's and signed it. Jake also said, but that's only part of the story. This is one very large step toward me not being able to ground anyone in reality. Now that, quote, affirming is medically necessary, the next step, which will happen is to prohibit therapists from rec recommending anything but that path. Jake, tell us how you see it. The American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, which is basically the uh, professional association for people of my licensure. Uh, there are other professional associations, the American Counseling Association, the National Board of Certified Counselors, the National Association of Social Workers, and so on and so forth. Um, they have an ethical code, and this ethical code is 11 pages long. But then they also recently released affirming care guidelines for LGBTQIA, and it's 26 pages. So we have 26 pages of affirming care guidelines and 11 pages of ethics on themselves. And I believe what's going to happen is that in time, the affirming care guidelines will be embedded in the ethics. Now, the ethical code is embedded into law, which means that I, as a marriage and family therapist, operating with my license in Nevada, I have to adhere to this ethical code. The affirming care guidelines essentially say that practitioners aren't allowed to argue with people when they come in and self-identify as trans, and that includes children. Uh, we're not allowed to dig into their past, their trauma histories, uh, maybe evaluate them for autism disorders, and, um, and say, maybe this isn't what you think it is. Maybe this is something that is simply an identity issue and you're struggling with it right now and in time it could resolve and we've got some pretty substantial evidence 
that shows that somewhere between 60 and 90 percent of children who identify as trans in childhood and left alone go on to be gay or hetero with only a very small percentage actually ending up as trans. So intervening in childhood is really the issue here. And what our governor has done is sign this bill that will compel insurance companies to pay for care. And uh, I know what they'll say. They'll say that, you know, there's a steps to this process, right? And uh, I'm looking at the bill in front of me. Some of the steps may include, so it doesn't say shall, it says may include mm -hmm. things like recommendation from a therapist. Well, guess what happens when somebody comes in and they want their kid trans? They compel me to write the letter. And if I say, no, I don't think that's the case. I'm now not affirming for those of you who can't see the air quotes because you're on audio. I'm not affirming. Therefore, I would run afoul of my ethics. They could file a licensing board complaint, have my license revoked. My career is over. And they All will do this. I use my experience, education and training differently. Yes, absolutely. Well, they already are. Yeah, they're um, already doing it in other places. Win in Oregon. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, we've talked about it on the show. We've already seen it happen. It's not something that that might happen. It's something that will happen and something that is already happening. They know that this is going to happen. They intend for this to happen. This is what they want. Um, let's underline for people how out of step this actually is with what we, that is educated, actual therapists like you, um, in the no lay people like me, have understood therapy to be. This is actually, it's not just not helpful therapy, it is a direct reversal. It is anti-therapeutic. It is a 180 degree complete opposite black to white reversal of the therapeutic process. I was listening to Jordan Peterson last week and he mentioned something about this and he talked about the code of ethics that he as a therapist in, in Canada is bound by. Um, as you probably know, um, and people in the audience may know, Jordan Peterson is currently subject to uh, a persecution. It's, it's not an investigation. It's a persecutory act uh, by the Ontario, I believe it's the College of Psychologists, which is that province's licensing board, analogous to the licensing board in the state of Nevada and other states. Um, they're trying to pull his license to practice because he, quote, misgendered actress Elian Page. Elian, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> last week it was Ellen Elliot, this week it's Elian. Elian. Um, and he said, Jordan Peterson said, this, there's a contradiction here. He said, my code of ethics does not, as a practicing clinical psychologist, does not allow me to simply accept the self-identification and self-diagnosis of my patients. If I simply accept that without investigating, I am guilty of an ethical crime, right? And he agrees with that, and I agree with Jordan. That is correct. It's, it's you know, you don't take at face value what your patient tells you. You take it into account, and, and your patient may be more or less right or wrong, about what ails him or her, or indeed who he or she actually is. Some people have a very good sense of that, other people do not. But, you know, he was talking about the fact that this is an engineered contradiction. They mean this consciously to happen. They know that it's impossible. It's a deliberate catch-22. If he 
affirms only, then he will be in violation of not only the ethical code that exists on paper and that governs him legally, but one that he believes he is actually morally bound by. And I agree with them. Um, what do you think about that? We're trained in school to dig deeper. We don't just take people at, their, at face value what they say. Somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm struggling with alcohol. We go, all right, cool. Yeah, we, we need to address that. But why are you struggling with alcohol? Uh, could it be your lack of emotional expression? Could it be childhood history of trauma, neglect, abuse, violence? If I just get somebody dry off of alcohol and don't address the underlying causalities, I'm not ethically acting. I may be somewhat beneficial because now at least they're not poisoning themselves with alcohol all the time. But am I truly helping? Um, maybe I'm even doing harm because I took away their favorite coping skill and all they do is substitute it with something else. But we didn't actually address the underlying psychological issues. So he's right. Absolutely right. And we're trained that way. And there is a contradiction. My concern, too, is that this sets in motion a path for medicalized treatment of other psychiatric disorders, such as body dysmorphia and anorexia, it's a really dangerous precedent to set. And, and I'm embarrassed that Nevada is indulging in it. Something else that's in the bill is the actual definition of gender dysphoria, which is in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's our diagnostic book, right? The DSM currently in its yeah. fifth iteration. And when you codify in law a diagnosis what you've done is you've you've taken it out of the realm of the professionals who are yes. supposed to be good at listing these things out with their their identifiable criteria and you put it in the hands of lay legislators permanently so when the dsm gets revised again and maybe gender dysphoria's definition changes nevada law still has it defined as such for the purposes of insurance billing. So right there, we have an inherent conflict. And apparently nobody read my letter on that either because I wrote some opposition and I said that. It's a very bad idea, but there we are. We have it in law now. And I don't know where this ends, but it's not good. No, it isn't. It isn't good. I don't know where it ends either. Um, but I I had, I, I sense, <laughs> pardon, pardon the, the squishy, woo-woo, new-agey language. I sense, potentially that we are at some sort of cultural moment. I don't know if it's a turning point. I don't know if it's a peak. It might be, it might not be. But this, this week, I mean, this, this episode of the show, we're calling rebellion because we are starting, I at least am starting to see people actively and vocally say loudly no to the LGBTQ army um, that, is, that is trying to, I, I, no, I'm not sorry. That's trying to take over our entire society. That is what it is doing. They are trying to remake our entire society legally, culturally, historically, uh, with regard to medicine. There's another contradiction here. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of James Lindsay, commentator James Lindsay, um, gets uh, short and irritated with people on this one, um, which... I like because I get short and irritated with people all the time. Uh, you do. Try, <laughs> um, trying to get people to understand that charges of hypocrisy are irrelevant. These people don't care. They know they're hypocrites. No. That's not the point. They, the point is they are telling you that they are hypocrites and they are going, yeah, 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 yeah. 
I can do it, you can't. That's what they're doing. So when people say, they're so hypocritical, it's not going anywhere. You take the, the same people, the progressives, the Democrats, the liberals who are all in support of this, bring up the topic of abortion. How dare you legislate against abortion? Only a doctor and a medical professional and a woman speaking privately can decide the medical outcome. Uh, but all of that is gone. All of that is gone if they want to chop off little Johnny's um, wiener, basically. Well, and, you, and what we're doing here is we're introducing <coughs> physical alterations in the form of treatment, physical alterations to the body to address a temporary fleeting psychiatric disorder of the mind. Nowhere else do we do that. Nowhere. Um, I, I have a, a good friend who got a gastric sleeve. He got some bariatric surgery done. And he had to be evaluated before going into that procedure. And, and even he regrets it now. He said this. Okay. We know that detransitioners regret going through this path. And it's like they are com being completely ignored. Um, another contradiction in our law, and I pointed this out in my letter, is that SB 163, which just got signed into law, uh, appears to be in conflict with another state statute, Nevada Revised Statutes uh, 200.5083, which is prohibition against female genital mutilation. Genital mutilation. So I don't, I don't know how we, we went from it's not okay to, to mutilate genitals to it's okay to mutilate genitals. And we'll pay for it and we'll compel private companies to pay for it and we'll compel the taxpayers to pay for it. I, 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 it. It blows my mind that these walking contradictions are allowed to move forward. And apparently nobody in the Democratic Party is interested in stopping it. And now our governor doesn't see it either or doesn't care. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's complicit. I don't know if it's it's fear based on he doesn't want to, you know, the quote unquote blood on his hands when kids oh he's he, he just wiped his hands in blood their healthy parts chopped off yeah he, he, he just put blood on his hands for, for passing it i would say so i would say so you know um, and there was and another these... bill that, that didn't get passed that made us a, a sanctuary state too that would have made us a sanctuary state just like vermont i know you've covered oh that. it'll get passed Sorry, next year it'll get passed next year yeah yeah um it's gonna happen um you know again the con you're right the walking contradiction the the very same because I remember what you know, I spent most of my life, as you know, um, as a progressive liberal Democrat. And I remember when the spate of bills came up in American state legislatures to prohibit female genital mutilation. And this usually came up in the context of immigrant Muslim communities um, and female mm -hmm. genital mutilation can can be anything from uh, what is a relatively minor nick of of the labial or clitoral tissue as sort of a ritual and symbolic thing that might be somewhat analogous. Well, I'm not going to get into that, but it can go all the way up to what's called infibulation, which is literally sewing up the labia, the labia minora and the labia majora, literally opening, opening, making a wound and then sewing it together and leaving only a very, very tiny hole for intercourse penetration and for urination. Um, nobody, of course, the very people who brought these bills, most of them were feminists, leftist Democrats who said, you can't do this to girl children. This is this is horrendous. You're, you're, you're literally mutilating their genitals. That's why this is called female genital mutilation in your statute and also in my statute in Vermont. The, these are the very same people now who are saying 
you hate children and you should be in prison if you do not mutilate their genitals. It's amazing. Um, we got a couple more minutes, Jake. As I said to you when we were prepping for this, um, I'm going to run you through this question again because it is the number one question that people ask about when when I talk about therapy and and how to how to find a decent therapist on the show, and I don't have a lot of good answers for it. And I know you get asked it a lot, and I also know an audience. I'm going to remind you as I say this: Jake does not have the answer. There is no person in the world who has the answer. There's no rule of thumb. There's no heuristic that Jake can give you or that I can give you that will make sure you can find that one. You may fail. Some of you are going to fail. But, Jake, what what would you say to people who are saying, I or somebody I love needs actual therapy, not affirmation, not a shoulder to cry, but actual therapy for trauma? How can people begin to try to find a therapist who is not anti-therapeutic and is not going to be political on this side? Well, a lot of times people will have their bios up and you can read through the bio. And if you're, if you're savvy, you can read between the lines and see what they're doing. If they're honestly endeavoring to help people find change and live their best life, that will make itself transparent. If they're looking to be activists, as many of us are being trained now in school, instead of being therapists, we're being trained to be activists. Um, you can see that too. And you have to trust your own instincts on that. So look at the bios. Absent a bio, uh, you can you can see things like, um, you know, what, is, what does the website look like? Are they, how are they advertising themselves? Uh, what markers are they advertising to deal with certain demographics, right? And if and you can kind of read between the lines there. But I will say that one general guideline is if somebody is a practicing psychoanalyst, somebody who does psychoanalysis or does Jungian analytic psychology, if they say Carl Jung anywhere on their bio, probably a pretty good chance that they're gonna be, give you a really robust experience. Um, I wouldn't ever say that certain things fall into a certain matrix and to steer away from them or toward them because you just don't know. I wouldn't say, you know, stay away from people who are gay and lesbian allied because I have that on my bio too. I absolutely will help anybody who walks through the door. Um, you know, some people think that well, if, you, if you say LGBTQIA plus on your uh, Psychology Today profile, then you should be avoided. I said, no, absolutely not. Uh, because some of the, those are some of the most open-minded people, right? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I, pick somebody who's really good at a religion, for example, uh, because those people might be zealots as well in the wrong direction. Right. So it's let me, trust your own instincts and, and read the bio. Yeah. Um, and and let, let me give a slightly, uh, sl uh, let me give a slight challenge to that. Uh, viewers and listeners, you can uh, you can make up your own mind. But I've said on the show and I'll, and I'll say it again, and perhaps I'm wrong about this, but um, I, I do actually consider uh, the affirmative advertising of, of helping LGBTQ people. I consider that a red flag now. And I, I leave that website. Yeah. Um, I, I, I realize that that that's not the case with you. But in my experience, statistically, um, I see it as a red flag and it's one of my filters. You're off my list immediately. I know that that puts good therapists in a bind, but, um, again, there's, there's no, there, there are no perfect solutions. Jake, I want to thank you for coming back to the show. You're a viewer and a listener favorite. People really enjoy the episodes that you're on, especially because there are very few others in the professional world right now, like you, who will say what you're saying and, and, and let people know that there are actual therapists out there who can see the world clearly. So I wish you good luck. Thank you again for joining us.
appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the platform. And I thought for sure it was just because I wore a Paw Patrol tank top today. Um, well, actually, and thank you very much. Um, and listeners, you can thank me too, because when I set this up with Jake last night, I asked him to be extra hot for today. Accomplished. All right, we got it. We'll see you all after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Psychologist Rob K. Henderson is somebody that I, I recommend you follow. He's got a substack <clears throat> because everybody has a substack now, including us, and you should read it. He has been devoting more attention lately to um, the conversation that I'm, I'm pleased to see spreading among people in the psychological know, excuse me, about the correlation between various forms of hard left social justice activism and what I am I am going to call cluster B personality traits. They call them dark triad, but these are just words for the same things. Um, he's got an article out this week. Actually, you know, oh, you know what it is? That his website is actually robkhenderson.com. It'll take you to Substack, but I guess they let you put your own thing in there. This article is called Victim Signaling and Dark Triad Personality. Um, Rob will explain. Let me quote to you. A 2020 study found people who signal victimhood and virtue are more likely to have dark triad personality traits. The dark triad comprises narcissism, entitled self-importance, Machiavellianism, strategic exploitation and duplicity, and psychopathy, callousness and disregard for others. People with dark triad traits can be seductive. Yes, they can. They are often seductive. They are sexually seductive, many of them, not all, but many. Some of the sexiest men I've ever known have been psychopaths and narcissists, unfortunately. I offer this to you, ladies, if you're interested in a guy, I am your filter. Send me an email and send me a picture and tell me about him. If I find him attractive, run, because it means he's a narcissist. <laughs> um, but they can be intellectually seductive as well. Um, the, the most clever, the best of them, the best, know what they're doing. And they understand that they're 
that they have a certain set of skills. They understand their sexual appeal, they understand their intellectual appeal, they understand their charisma, and they use it. <clears throat> Another quote. In the 2020 study titled Signaling Virtuous Victimhood as Indications of Dark Triad Personalities, the authors suggest that Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy might be beneficial for obtaining resources. Put into plain English, it, it's, it's pretty clear. This is the reason why psychopaths are often referred to as living a parasitic lifestyle. Couch surfing, um, squeezing money out of other people, never having their own apartment, never having their own job, never having their own car. They're, they're parasitic. The psychopaths, sociopaths, whatever you want to call them, um, they're not all serial killers. That's, that's the small minority of people, right? Most people, even cluster bees, most cluster bees are not serial killers. Um, but there are plenty of psychopaths and sociopaths out there who are, yes, absolutely, fully diagnosable. They do have a deep character problem. They have zero conscience. They have zero empathy. They are full psychopaths, even though they're not serial killers. Um, but what they do is, is they slowly kill the love and the trust in any relationship because they simply extract, extract, extract. I'll read a little bit to you uh, from his article. There won't be anything on your screen. In their introduction, he's talking about the study he's referring to, Rob is. They acknowledge that being viewed as a victim can lead to a loss of esteem and respect. But they continue, in modern Western societies, being a victim doesn't always lead to undesirable outcomes. Sometimes, being a victim can increase one's social status and justify one's claim to material resources. They argue that, quote, contemporary Western democracies have become particularly hospitable environments for victim signalers to execute a strategy of non-reciprocal resource extraction. Plain English, all give, all take, <laughs> no give. You give, I take. You give, I take. No reverse. You know, there's there's one one of the reasons for this that the the, the article the study he's referring to uh, proposes is that they say strong egalitarian values lead many in the West to believe that any differences in outcomes are illegitimate. We hear this echoed. This is what equity is about. Equity, which is not equality. It does not connote equality of opportunity. It means, it doesn't even imply it, it means equality of outcome. Everybody gets the same pay. Everybody is a star, right? Um, and another is that one of our key values is the alleviation of human suffering. This is also uh, from Rob's article. Saying that you don't have as much as others and that you are suffering for it can be a shrewd way to obtain material resources, absolutely. You know, my, my therapist told me years ago that one of our problems in the West is that we want to alleviate suffering, all suffering, and we want to um, alleviate it immediately. We no longer collectively recognize the value of suffering at all. We don't believe that suffering has any positive we, we see it only as negative because we're hedonistic, we're spoiled. We believe that suffering is an essential intrinsic evil. 
and we believe that it can and should be managed away. That was my problem, too. When he was telling me about that, he was telling the truth to me. He said, you, Josh, want to alleviate suffering too quickly. You want to alleviate your own suffering. You try to alleviate the suffering of other people all around you. I'm paraphrasing him now, of course, but, um, you know, he said this is a large part of what kept you chained uh, to servicing your mother's demands over the years, buying her a house, paying off her back rent, uh, being her emotional confidant, taking all of her abuse and blaming yourself for making your mother cry or blaming yourself for not being able to make her stop crying. He was right. I wanted to get rid of all suffering right away. I still struggle with this tendency. Um, well, I mean, everybody wants to alleviate their suffering, right? None of us enjoy suffering. I don't. Um, and because my brain is warped the way it is, I, I think on average I probably suffer mentally more than the average person does. You know, that's just my lot in life. But because of that commitment that I had and that millions of people have, and I would say almost everybody who would stand up and say, I'm a liberal progressive Democrat, this describes them too. Um, this is how I became an abuse enabler. This is how I became a flying monkey to my mother's narcissistic abuse and resource extraction from myself, from my sister, from my brother, from her landlord, from her boss, from her best, well, her, she has no friends at all now because no one will speak to her. Because although she's not a thoroughgoing psychopath, my mother has lived a parasitic lifestyle. Um, scaled up to society, this impulse to alleviate suffering is, is why woke activists, is one of the reasons why woke activists go as crazy as they do. Let me, I, thank you for the, uh, tolerating the digression. Let me, let me go back to this article. Quote, the researchers examine victim signaling, which they define as a, quote, public and intentional expression of one's disadvantages, suffering, oppression, or personal limitations. They also examine virtue signaling, defined as symbolic demonstrations that can lead observers to make favorable inferences about the signaler's moral character. And what did the researchers find? Quote, <laughs> you, not on your screen, just me. They found that victim signaling scores highly correlated with dark triad scores. This association held after controlling for gender, ethnicity, income, and other factors that might make people vulnerable to mistreatment. Participants also completed a questionnaire that measured virtue signaling. They rated the extent to which they agreed or disagreed with statements about moral traits like being fair, compassionate, and honest. A sample statement. I often buy products that communicate the fact that I have these characteristics. They also found that virtue signaling was significantly correlated with dark triad scores. And wait until I tell you all audience and disaffectants about what researchers found recently when they applied the same dark triad lens to feminist activism. We'll do it on an upcoming show. I'll bet you can never guess what they found. <laughs> Proud Academy. Proud Academy is the name of a school that some adults would like to put together. Take a look on your screen here. These are the adults who are going to bring Proud Academy into the world. Aren't they a lovely and completely selfless group of modest people who are 
proudly respecting their unique differences. That that's the acronym. <laughs> proudly respecting our unique differences. Why does it okay, so this this is a school that is gonna be allegedly the first LGBTQ centered school. It isn't, but why does this school need to open? Why do we need a school just for queers? Yeah, they use that term. That's right. Queer kids. Queer kids. Throughout her 30 years as a teacher, Patricia Nicolari said she faced repeated harassment from students due to her sexuality. Some left notes on her desk asking if she is a lesbian. Others called her a dyke under their breath. And one day students carved les into her carbs. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't carve anything into anyone's car, but I, I would totally take my finger and write leather on some bitch's Subaru. <laughs> uh, uh, Patricia Nicolari, this is from NBC, by the way. This is NBC News. She says, at the time, I remember thinking, I'm going through so much anxiety as a teacher, I can't imagine what our students go through questioning themselves and how unsafe it is for them to come out, Nicolari said. Let me give let me give her the benefit of the doubt to a certain degree. Let me be charitable with her. This woman is my age or maybe 10, you know, within five to 10 years older than me. That means that she did actually experience anti-gay harassment in the real world. I believe her when she reports those experiences because I saw them. They happened to me. They happened to other people. Um, I saw them happen to teachers from time to time. This was real. That's the way the world was for a long time. Um, but like so many homosexuals my age and older who should know better, she's nursing wounds from 30 to 40 years ago that have nothing to do with the way the world is today. She's living in the 1980s and she's trying to create a solution to a problem that no longer exists. Quote, in September... She plans to open a private school in Connecticut that's designed to be an oasis for LGBTQ students. Proud Academy, which stands for Proudly Respecting Our Unique Differences, will prioritize what Nicolari saw lacking in the U.S. education system, a safe, affirming, and bully-free academic environment for LGBTQ students. I know. I know everybody thinks that's a great idea. I, I know. I used to think it was a great idea, too, but I don't anymore. Um, I don't want kids... Um, I don't want to kid, see kids terrorized. I don't want to see kids targeted by, by groups of bullies the way many kids were in my day. But I don't want to see kids in a bully-free zone. I wish, I wish, if I could go back and do my adolescence over, I would wish for, for me to experience things differently than I did, but not, not, not the way you might think. I never learned how to defend myself as a boy and a man growing into a man. I was a sissy. I literally ran away from fights crying, which of course only made me a more attractive target for more conventionally masculine boys. What I should have been able to do, had I a father or a father figure or any 
any entrance into the world of boys, men, and how we handle our problems, what should have happened for me is that I should have learned how to defend myself. I should have been able to throw a punch. I should have bloodied some noses like they bloodied mine. I didn't want that then. I, I screamed. I didn't want that. I, want, I literally ran to mommy. I ran to the guidance counselor's office, the, the very nice lady who let me literally cry on her shoulder. <sighs> it's not the way. This is not the way. Next quote. The private school's curriculum aims to include educational basics like math classes, rigorous courses at the advanced placement and honors level, and lessons that touch upon LGBTQ history and literature. In addition to fostering a queer-friendly environment, Nicolari says she wants to hire mental health counselors who can cater to the specific challenges of these youths. Oh, good God almighty. This is just going to make them worse. It's just going to concretize their trauma without giving them any real way to integrate it and get past it by helping themselves. Um, next one. When Nicolari first set out to launch Proud Academy, she planned to only enroll students in grades 7 through 12. But since word about the school has spread, Nicolari said, there's been a strong demand from parents with younger children as well, and she now plans to accommodate these families. Oh, dear. I'm not going to give the benefit of the doubt to the kind of educators, educators, not teachers, educators and paraeducators who are going to go to work for this school. This place is going to be all grooming all the time, all mind rape all the time. And yes, there is going to be a lot of actual physical sexual molestation of kids. Why? Because this place is a pervert magnet, obviously. Duh! It's a penthouse sweet minibar for bent adults stocked with children who have been clearly and publicly sexualized for the delectation and consumption of the minibar user, the adult. When I was 15 years old, I was living in a, well, I call it the orphanarium. <laughs> uh, thank you, Futurama. I was living in a, in a uh, group home off, off the campus of, of this institution uh, for boys. And... I wanted very badly to get into the Harvey Milk School. The Harvey Milk School is uh, a school in New York City, a uh, public school for gay kids. So this has been around for a long, long, long time. I am so glad that, I, that that did not work out for me because I suspect I know what would have happened to me had I gone there. Let us assume charitably and unrealistically, let us assume I had gone to that school and that I wasn't... Um, predated upon by older male teachers, which absolutely would have happened. Um, even if that never happened, I would have been cosseted in a bubble where I only had to interact with other gay kids, which means almost all of the kids are going to come from traumatized households. The correlation is real. It's there. It's strong. And I would have had no opportunity at all to find ways to defend myself against what I perceived to be to, to perceive to be the hostility of the larger heterosexual world. Of course, that was a warped way of looking at it, but it, had, it took me many years to get past that. That would not have been good for me. And, you know, let me tell you something else. Harvey Milk, Harvey Milk, the San Francisco supervisor who was uh, shot and killed in, was it 1978 or 1979 um, by Dan White, I believe. Uh, this is where the famous phrase, the... Twinkie defense comes from. Uh, part of um, the defendant's defense was that he had a blood sugar problem. 
uh, that caused him to go crazy. And people rightfully uh, objected to it because it was very clearly an excuse um, for getting away with murdering somebody that he considered to be a perverted, disgusting faggot. But that doesn't make Harvey Milk a saint. Let me tell you about Harvey Milk, who has a school named after him. The whole media is going crazy right now. If you go online and look on Google News, type in Harvey Milk, they're all going crazy because people are calling Harvey Milk a pedophile and they don't want him honored in public schools in California, which are trying to include him, some of them in their curriculum for LGBTQ Pride Month, which they shouldn't even be doing in the first place. Why are they calling him a pedophile? Where does this accusation come from? Let me take you back to 2011 to an Australian newspaper called The Star Observer. Listen to this extraordinary double talk, mind you, from 12 years ago. Quote, in 1964, in his early 30s, Milk began a relationship with Jack McKinley, a theatrical stage manager who was 16 years old when they met in New York. The age of consent, again, this is the Star Observer, the age of consent in California is 18. The Save California group, which campaigns almost exclusively in opposition to GLBT rights, says this means that children are being made to celebrate a, quote, sexual predator, end quote, in schools, even though the age of consent is 16 in most states. Did you catch the double talk? They just said, they just said in their own article that the age of consent in California is and was 18 and then they excused Harvey Milk's sexual behavior with a 16-year-old because it's 16 in most other states. And they put sexual predator in inverted commas as if it were just an epithet, you know, just totally disconnected from reality. It gets worse. Remember, this was 12 years ago. This was already going on 12 years ago in very mainstream media. What we see today is just the end result. Quote, McKinley was over 18 when he and Milk first traveled together to California. The couple broke up after a five-year relationship, and all Milk's other relationships were with people who were over the age of consent. <laughs> Seriously? Well, it's fine because all other relationships were people over the age of consent. Okay, okay, the age of consent is 18 in California, but 16 in most states. Why? Because they're motivated to do this. The media is motivated to do this. They are on the side of predators. Affirmatively. They're not mistaken. They mean it. We're coming up to the end here. And I, what I want to say is, don't let your guard down. If this is indeed the beginning of something like a rebellion then we have to ride this rebellion hard right now and we have to stay on this horse all the way through. No letting up, no backing down, all the way through till victory. Make that commitment. We can't let up because at the end of any social mania comes what people call an extinction burst. When the activists go absolutely crazy, they start literally actually psychologically decompensating. Um, their lies, their defenses no longer work. People see through them, so they just go crazy. They throw everything 
every bit of shit they got, they'll throw. They will try everything. And if they think they can't win, they will try to pull people down into the hole with them while they go. You think they're not coming for your kids? Listen to what the White House has to say. These are our kids. These are our neighbors. Not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. And our children are the kite strings that hold our national ambitions aloft. It matters a great deal how we treat everyone in this country. LGBTQ Americans, especially children, you're loved, you're heard, and this administration has your back. This administration has your children's backsides. Look sharp. Good night.